Hello, this is R.J. Deacon, reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in New Prime v. Oliviera, certiori to United States Court of Appeals for the First Circuit, argued October 3, 2018, decided January 15, 2019. Petitioner New Prime Incorporated is an interstate trucking company, and respondent Dominic, Dominic Oliviera is one of its drivers. Mr. Oliviera works under an operating agreement that calls him an independent contractor and contains a mandatory arbitration provision. When Mr. Oliviera filed a class action alleging that New Prime denies its drivers lawful wages, New Prime asked the court to invoke its statutory authority under the Federal Arbitration Act to compel arbitration. Mr. Oliviera countered that the court lacked authority because Section 1 of the Act accepts from coverage Disputes involving contracts of employment of certain transportation workers. New Prime insisted that any question regarding Section 1's applicability belonged to the arbitrator alone to resolve. Or, assuming the court could address the question that contracts of employment referred to only contracts that establish an employer-employee relationship, and not to contracts with independent contractors. The District Court and First Circuit Court agreed with Mr. Oliveira. The Supreme Court held, affirmed, a court should determine whether a Section 1 exclusion applies before ordering arbitration. A court's authority to compel arbitration under the Act does not extend to all private contracts, no matter how emphatically they may express preference for arbitration. Instead, antecedent statutory provisions limit the scope of a court's Sections 3 and 4 powers to stay litigation and compel arbitration, according to the terms of the party's agreement. Section 2 provides that the Act applies only when the agreement is set forth as a written provision in any maritime transaction or contract evidencing a transaction involving commerce, and Section 1 helps define Section 2's terms, warning, as relevant here, that nothing in the Act shall apply to contracts of employment of seamen, railroad employees, or any other class of workers engaged in foreign or interstate commerce. For a court to invoke its statutory authority under Sections 3 and 4, it must first know if parties' agreement is excluded from the Act's coverage by the terms of Sections 1 and 2. The sequencing is significant. Bernhardt versus Polygraphic Corporation of America. New Prime notes that parties' contracts contains a delegation clause, giving the arbitrator authority to decide threshold questions of arbitrability, and that the severability principle requires that both sides take all their disputes to arbitration. But a delegation clause is merely a specialized type of arbitration agreement, and it is enforceable under Sections 3 and 4 only if it appears in a contract consistent with Section 2 that does not trigger Section 1's exception. And the Act's severability principle applies only if the party's arbitration agreement appears in a contract that falls within the field Sections 1 and 2 describe. Because the Act's term, contract of employment, refers to any agreement to perform work, Mr. Oliviera's agreement with New Prime falls within Section 1's exception. It is a fundamental canon of statutory construction that words generally should be interpreted 
as taking their ordinary meaning at the time Congress enacted the statute. Wisconsin Central Limited versus United States, quoting Perrin versus United States. After all, if judges could freely invest old statutory terms with new meanings, this court would risk amending legislation outside the single finely wrought and exhaustively considered procedure that the Constitution commands. INS versus Chadha. The court would risk, too, upsetting reliance interests by subjecting people today to different rules than they enjoyed when the statute was passed. At the time of the Act's adoption in 1925, the phrase contract of employment was not a term of art, and dictionaries tended to treat employment more or less as a synonym for work. Contemporaneous legal authorities provide no evidence that a contract of employment necessarily signaled a former employer-employee relationship. Evidence that Congress used the term contracts of employment broadly can be found in its choice of the neighboring term workers, a term that easily embraces independent contractors. New Prime argues that by 1925, the words employee and independent contractor had already assumed distinct meanings. But while the words employee and employment may share a common root in intertwined history, they also developed at different times, and at least in some different ways. The evidence remains that, as dominantly understood in 1925, a contract of employment did not necessarily imply the existence of an employer-employee relationship. New Prime's argument that early 20th century courts sometimes used the phrase contracts of employment to describe what are recognized today as agreements between employers and employees does nothing to negate the possibility that the term also embraced agreements by independent contractors to perform work. And its effort to explain away the statute's suggestive use of the term worker by noting that the neighboring terms seamen and railroad employees included only employees in 1925 rests on a precarious premise. The evidence suggests that even seamen and railroad employees could be independent contractors at the time the Arbitration Act passed. Left to appeal the Act's policy, New Prime suggests that this court order arbitration to abide Congress's effort to counteract judicial hostility to arbitration and establish a favorable federal policy towards arbitration agreements. Courts, however, are not free to pave over bumpy statutory text in the name of more expeditiously advancing a policy goal. Rather, the court should respect the limits up to which Congress was prepared to go when adopting the Arbitration Act, United States versus Sisson. This court also declines to address New Prime's suggestion that it order arbitration anyway, under its inherent authority to stay litigation in favor of an alternative dispute resolution mechanism of the party's choosing. The decision below is affirmed. Justice Gorsuch delivered the opinion of the court in which all other members joined, except Justice Kavanaugh, who took no part in the consideration or decision of this case. Justice Ginsburg filed a concurring opinion. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get a hold of the podcast, we can be reached at rhodesscholar80 at gmail.com. That's Rhodes, R-O-A-D-S, and 8080. Thank you.